Be confident. Be bold. Be authentic. But don't forget to take action. This is Ordinary to Badass, where our stories empower women to step into the spotlight of their own lives and pursue what they're truly passionate about. It's time to step into the arena and become more than just extraordinary. It's time to become a badass with your host, Marie Sonneman. Welcome to Ordinary to Badass, episode number 187. In this episode, you'll be hearing from Stephanie Luarez, and Stephanie is a body positivity personal trainer, and she's a nutrition specialist, a speaker, and a number one international best-selling author. And we talk about body positivity, what healthy means to you, and how to start stepping or thinking outside the box and doing things against the norm when it comes to your health and your nutrition. So hang tight because I know that you're going to love this episode. So before we get there, I want to tell you a little bit of behind the scenes. Tuesday is National Proofreading Day, which means the world to me. So in case you weren't aware, I do have a book coming out. Um, A Woman's Guide to Taking Your Finances from Ordinary to Badass, Step into Your Financial Freedom, and Secure Your Future Wealth. I cannot wait. It is going to come out in April. But here's the thing. I am so stinking excited. And I wouldn't be publishing a book if I didn't have people to proofread it, right? So it means the world to me that I had two different people that proofread the book for me and help me so I don't sound ignorant (laughs) or nobody likes to read a book and then see a bunch of like grammatical errors or mistakes. While I never have thought that I was a bad writer, there was a lot that I had to learn from this process. So definitely stay tuned because the book will be on pre-order soon, but I'm super excited and just thought I would kind of keep you in the loop because most of 2021, was my book was with the editors. So now that it's done and I'm just wrapping up my final editing and getting ready to put it out there, I'm just excited. And of course, I'm grateful to have you on this journey with me. So with that, let's go ahead and get to the episode. Welcome to Ordinary to Badass. Whether you're ordinary or badass, I am so glad you're here. Today's guest is Stephanie Luaris. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here. Excited to have you on the show. Thanks. It's exciting to be here today. So before we go any further, I've got to ask you, do you consider yourself ordinary or badass? Oh, that is a loaded question. (laughs) This is the evolution of getting rid of my own limiting beliefs because I consider myself pretty ordinary. But everyone around me has that badass quality that they call out in me. So I'm trying to see in myself what others see in me. So have you felt more badass over time or have you always felt like the same way? You know, it before it was like, never, that's so not a word for me. Now it's, I see it in different areas of life. 
but not necessarily overall. So it's a growth process. Yeah, yeah. I think it I think it always is, but what I love is like the power of friends and family and the people you surround yourself with. It's like they can help us to believe things that we didn't believe for ourselves. So I think that's powerful. Absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes. Well, I am Stephanie Luares. I'm the owner of Heart and Soul Fitness and Wellness in Lake Havasu City, Arizona. I'm a body positive personal trainer, fitness nutrition specialist, author, speaker, lots of fancy names to say my goal in life is to help you feel good in your body. Nice. So you said you were a body positive what? Personal trainer. Personal trainer. What does that mean? So everyone has different ideas of what health means and what that looks like. And especially when we enter into the areas of fitness and wellness, everyone's goals aren't necessarily attached to the scale. And we actually get into a pretty dangerous place when some of those obligatory benchmarks are our sole focus. As a body positive personal trainer, you might have that initial goal of weight loss, but we dig a little bit deeper into that why. Like, why why do you want to achieve this? What does that do for you? We start to hear a lot of different things like, I want to feel good in my skin. I want my clothes to fit better. I want to keep up with my kids or my grandkids and all these different things that get us to a very vulnerable place, but they also show areas of action. They show very specific ways we can address nutrition, movement, stability, balance, and strength so much more. It's also that recognition that we do have full body autonomy. Weight loss may not be everyone's goals. Sometimes we get the assumption, especially in society, that people of a certain size going to the gym, their goal is weight loss. And that's not always the case that for some people, it's just, I want to, again, I want to feel good. I want to look good. I want to do all these other things that have no attachment to the scale itself. Also, depending on age, size, ability, medical conditions, there's a lot of adaptations and modifications that come into fitness that sometimes get a stigma because there's, we don't, we think we're not doing something the right way, but in reality, If you're doing it and it works for you without pain or causing a safety issue, then you are doing it right. And so it's just creating that safe, open atmosphere for people of any, any whatever to achieve what they want to achieve. So how do we start breaking out of the box? You know, we have this set thing that society defines for us, kind of like you were just talking about, but how do we start? creating our own boundaries, our own meaning for what it means to be healthy. One of the big things is to number one, be your own self-advocate in understanding the reality of what is not what we're being told. 
especially people in larger bodies, you can go to the doctor's office with a sore throat and you're going to be told to lose weight. Or you are diagnosed maybe with a particular condition and the prescription is weight loss or a particular way of eating. Well, that general practitioner typically doesn't have a whole lot of nutrition background. So for a doctor to be saying, this is the way to eat, that causes a few problems. So we need to to be that self-advocate in finding out, doing our homework, checking out other resources. It might even be showing up in a registered dietitian's office whose sole purpose is food and our relationship with food and how it interacts with everything else to provide us some guidance and not necessarily accept the first answer that we're given. And so often we, we, we like shirk back because we hear one thing. We're like, okay, well, this is what the professional said. Instead of asking questions and being willing to dig a little bit deeper, I realize it comes from a huge place of privilege to say that if you're not hearing what you need to hear to go somewhere else, because it's not always a possibility, but you have to have those people, those supports, those programs, whatever it is in your life that are there for your best interest. Yes. Yes. I like what you're saying about the self-advocacy. I think that people all too often think the doctors are the experts and they know all the answers, but really you're the expert of your own body. And so, you know, I do think it's important, like you said, to keep asking questions, to dig more, be curious and find out because one person doesn't necessarily know all the answers. Absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got to where you are today? Yes. So I did not magically fall into this is my career through the traditional path. Um, I was a pastor for many years, uh, worked with my husband, and um, I had come to a point about, oh gosh, between seven or eight years ago, like time just keeps tacking on, (laughs) but um, where I just wasn't happy. And things look great on the outside, like, you know, you've got this amazing position, employees, all these things, like life should be perfect, but things didn't quite feel right. I was also at my largest size ever. Now, I should say that I was put on my first diet at five years old. If there's a diet out there, I've done it, I've tried it, I've gained and lost weight, probably plus interest. But I had come to that point. Yes, I'm at my highest weight, but no, dieting is not the answer. Clearly something's not working. And so I looked around and I'm like, well, what can I do? What is, what is something that is feasible, that is possible? And it was starting with a six ounce cup of water, setting a timer, going across the office, filling up the water and coming back multiple times a day. Then the habits continued. Okay, what can I do next? That's super simple. Well, instead of going through the drive-through twice a day, I'm going to cook at home. Doesn't matter what I'm going to cook at home, but I'm going to cook. Then 
it's, well, let's start to pay attention to what I'm preparing. How does this make us feel? What, what kinds of things can we adjust? Those little steps there, I had already started to feel better. I had started to lose some weight. So I get in my head, well, now's the time for exercise. But 200 pounds heavier than I am today, I was pretty close to losing my mobility. And so in my mind, the only thing I could do was walk. So it was walk to the end of the street and back, and I wanted to die. And I did it in flip-flops because putting on real shoes would just have been too much work. But that first walk from I want to die then became around the block, around the neighborhood, and further and further. As I built up that endurance and stamina, I get the idea, I wonder if I can run. Now, I'm the girl of fake sick in gym class, so running, not going to happen. But so like 50 yards down the road is a stop sign, run to the stop sign. Again, it's that I want to die, but also in that something lit up. And I'm like, I like this. I got to figure this out. This fat girl running thing is for me. So I go home, do all the research, you know, break it down as to what that looks like. And again, it's taking those small bits and building up. It became 5Ks, 10Ks, half marathons, marathons. I had a crazy friend convince me to try triathlon. That's my jam now is long course triathlon working towards an Ironman. And all of this was just those little tiny steps over and over and growing on it. Without intentionally dieting, I lost over 200 pounds. I also, at the same time, because I believe in looking at the whole person, you can't change just that physical area without having an impact on your emotional health and your spiritual health. So through all of these physical changes, my emotional health, I'm cleaning that up. I have PTSD. I'm employing the things I need to function better and actually cope with life instead of just watching it go by. My spiritual life had become pretty stagnant, which was really hard to admit being a pastor. But it was one of those things that I knew I needed to grow because if that physical is we're bringing that up, that emotional and spiritual needs to come up and along for the ride if we're going to have any kind of sustainable change. So through that process, I have everybody coming to me saying, you need to show me what you're doing. You need to show me what you're doing. And that created the model for how I work with clients. I had gotten all of my certifications, personal training on my nutrition certifications, really out of my desire to understand what my coaches were telling me. But then I'm like, well, there's something here. And so I put together the business plan and originally was just going to do it with my colleagues. And kept coming up against walls there. So I shoved it in a drawer and said, you know, I'll do this in retirement someday. But my husband and I had reached a point in our ministry where we're like, it's time to go. Um, we're not going to be happy if we continue to do this another 15 years till we retire. Something has to change. So my husband went and got a great job that he loves, and I pulled that business plan out of the drawer and said, all right, let's do it. And I know for me, I would not have the confidence 
to do that, not going through this journey because I didn't have that faith in myself, that, that reasoning in my ability that this was viable. So it was one of those timing things that I had to go through the change before I knew this was a possibility. There are so many great nuggets in what you just said, like so much that I want to unpack. Um, one thing that I like that you were talking about was how you gave yourself grace. You did things and almost in a sense, it was like, F it. I'm going to do it my way. Like I'm going to do whatever I want to do. Um, and specifically like how you talked about going out to eat and then changing that to um, allowing yourself to cook at home, but whatever the heck you wanted. And then, you know, and then from there, like moving healthier, I think that sometimes we put all this pressure on ourselves. Like we have to go from like zero to 100 immediately, instead of just like making small incremental changes. Um, how do you think that that helped you towards your goal? It, that's playing into the studies. I mean, it, it's not sexy, but the studies show the small incremental changes is what creates lasting change. And we look at the diet industry as a whole, things like the New Year's resolution, the I'm going to start on Monday. We overhaul our entire lifestyle, so many different points of it at one time. And it might work for a few days, a few weeks, a few months, but taking something so large and superimposing it over our life is going to create chaos. It interferes with schedules, with children, sometimes even with our financial obligations. And so it's one of those things that how can we take our life and fit it into someone else's structure. That's not the best way to approach it. But by breaking things down to the very smallest bits and introducing it into the life you have, it's not a big adjustment. It's not something that's taking your time away, that's causing big shifts in relationships, in your checkbook, in everything else. So when you... The hard part is you don't see the instant results. You don't see the instant transformation. Everything comes in hindsight when you look at how all of this has snowballed into amazing change. Yes, yes. And previously, um, I had Deontay Young on the podcast and he talked about how he wanted to start a health journey and start working out and he just couldn't bring himself to do it but he loved McDonald's and McDonald's just so happened to be in the gym parking lot. So first he was like, okay, let me just grab McDonald's and go to the gym parking lot and eat my food there in front of the gym. And so he did that for a week. And then eventually I'll go in for five minutes. I'll, you know, after having the McDonald's or whatever. And then it, he kind of went away from it just because he started that first habit of associating it with something he liked. It is. And that's, that's one of the one of the huge concepts from atomic habits is that if then thing that if I do this, then I'm going to do that and starting to anchor those habits together so that we have something that's driving us there. We really want the McDonald's. But if I go to McDonald's, then I'm going to work out. 
And then eventually that reward at the beginning sometimes doesn't seem as exciting. And we're at, we then we're willing to engage in the habit that's already started. Yes. It's sometimes it's just like a little trick, you know, we do with our mind and then it changes things completely. Absolutely. So earlier you kind of talked about the dreaded D word about diet and all this diet culture stuff. How can we get out of doing traditional diets? For me, when I work with people around nutrition, I come from the camp of intuitive eating and mindful eating. And that is a place where we really buck against the $74 billion a year diet industry, where somebody's going to hand you this diet and calorie plan and tell you this is how to eat. When we look at nutrition, there's so much more to it than the food we're consuming. And because food has so much attached to it, there's emotional attachment, there's family, there's tradition, there's enjoyment, there's coping, there's so much there. But at the very base of it is taking the rules out of it, taking the morality out of food. Food is not good or bad, healthy or unhealthy. Food is food. It's what we do with food that can be destructive based on how we're consuming it, how we treat ourselves when we consume it, and and so on. So it really comes back to taking those obligatory rules off the table. Like who told you you can't eat past 8 p.m.? Or who told you you have to eat this certain way? Like why? And getting back to those innate cues that we were born with, hunger, satisfaction, fullness. Like consider a toddler. You know, they'll, they'll have a plate of food. They'll eat what they want. They know what they like. They know what they don't like. And when they're done, they're done. And they may have left a ton of food on their plate or they may have cleaned it. But it, it really is that place of coming back to trusting our body instead of the noise around us, because our body will communicate what we need, what, what feels good, what doesn't feel good. When do I need to consume this or do I not need to make the choice to eat this? And it, so it looks different for every single person. So I am one of those people that have not traditionally been good at paying attention to my body or paying mm-hmm. attention to the signals that it's giving me, whether it's hunger, whether it's anger, anxiety, you know, like I just try to have always tried to shove it away. I'm getting better at it, but um, for the person that's like that and has a tough time paying attention to their body and knowing when they're hungry or when they um, should go work out or just different things that their body is telling them, what would you say to them? That first, we need to be patient with ourselves, which is not an easy thing because we think that we can force our body to do what we want and get the results we need. But the very base of it is coming back to awareness and intentional action. And for those of us that maybe have dieted for a long time or haven't really had a great relationship with food, a lot of those innate cues, that hunger, that satisfaction and fullness, it's not very apparent to us. And we almost have to relearn it. And it's 
having that patience with ourselves to start to do some practical things. Take a deep breath and, you know, feel the seat you're sitting in. Do a little body scan, you know, what's tense, what feels good? Do I need some water? Am I hungry? You know, when was the last time I ate? Just starting to really come into that present moment. And then taking it that step further of what do I need right now? And so that means when we're sitting down with food, we can't answer the question of what I need right now. If we're on the computer, if we're on the phone, if we're watching TV, if we're engaged in anything else, but focused on what we're doing and separating ourselves from everything else and enjoying that mindful eating experience. What does your food taste like? What does it look like? Is it a good temperature? What's the mouth feel? What's the texture of that food? And really coming back to the experience that bringing something external into us, what's the effect is that it's having on our body. So what comes to mind to me when you say that is enjoying our food, that can be hard. That can be absolutely. And we feel guilty sometimes, Mm -hmm. even if it's completely okay, you know, to have the brownie, to have whatever you want to have, but then you have that guilt that pops up. What do you tell your clients when they have that guilt or that shame when it comes to food? We, we have to start to unpack that. Like, where does that guilt come from? What does that look like for you? Because a lot of it is those internal messages that we have brought in about food, that this is bad, that I can't have this. And there's been some form of restriction along the line. So we, we counteract those negative thoughts by just trying to approach things from that place of neutrality in, you know, does looking at it almost as a scientist and how does this make me feel, you know, does it hurt my stomach? Does it give me energy? Does it make me sluggish? Um, Do I have a reaction to it? Is this a food I can't even tolerate? But really backing away from that shame spiral that we get into because there's nothing wrong with a salad. There's nothing wrong with a brownie. And sometimes when we open ourselves up to this idea of intuitive eating, there's a fear there. And it's a very real fear that if I eat what I'm craving, then I'm never going to stop eating it. If I'm going to eat chocolate, then I'm going to eat all the chocolate all the time. And there might be a period of time when you, you eat chocolate in excess because you spent so much time saying, I can't have chocolate, but there does come around that point. If we're practicing that pause, if we're be, if we're starting to cultivate that awareness with our body, that we're going to find that point that no chocolate's enough right now. I want this, this better serves me. And we really then start coming into that place of eating a balanced diet of getting the nutrients we need through a large amount of varied foods. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's kind of, 
that's where the diet industry has gone wrong. Like all they talk about is the dang food on the plate, like what food you should be eating, but they don't talk anything about like the mental game or the mindset or the tricks you can do. It's all about the food on the plate. And it's like, that's not really solving the root of the problem. Right. And, you know, we go so often from that feeling of shame and guilt, like this food is bad, then I'm bad because I ate this food. But then it even goes deeper to I'm bad. I'm this horrible person. And we go on this huge downward spiral. But if we were really on that level playing food of level playing field, that food is neutral then we're able to get that validation that sends us up or sends us down from other places. Which, yeah, so important. That's, that's a huge takeaway. Um, oh, to beers, I say, rewind that, listen to it again. <laughs> so Stephanie, something I wanted to go back to Earlier, you talked about your journey and being a pastor, and then you felt like your spiritual life was dormant or stagnant. And I've experienced something similar, but um, I was in, or I'm in law enforcement. And when I first joined, I completely lost my confidence. So other people would look at me and be like, oh, she's a badass. And I felt like anything but a badass. Like I felt like a fraud or imposter. And so I want to, to talk to you about that, to take us back to that time in your life when you were feeling like you're spiritually stagnant and what were you feeling inside and how did you overcome that and move past that? So in that place where I started, where I wasn't happy, where things look great on the outside, but I, I was just surviving. And, you know, I talk about that, that stagnant spiritual life because I was doing the bare minimum for everyone else. I would do just enough to preach on Sunday, to lead the Bible studies, to do the things that served everyone else. I wasn't feeding into myself the things I needed to grow, that I personally needed to cultivate that relationship, that spiritual relationship. And for me, in everything that I do, whether it's physical, emotional, or spiritual, accountability is a huge thing for me. And it's like a dirty word. Everyone hates accountability because, again, we have that idea of what that looks like. But for me to change and with that, those small steps that aren't sexy and don't have the dramatic overnight magic wand, I needed people in groups and different things to be able to call me out on the stories I was telling myself that this is, this is what's actual reality. Give me the encouragement I needed. And in some cases, even come alongside with the resources or the structures that I didn't quite have a grasp on or didn't know I needed to get to the next level. So what was the first thing you did to take a step to start moving out of that? A lot of it was getting uncomfortable and being willing to be uncomfortable. 
like the first avenue of accountability I put in to place for me was a book group. And that sounds so bizarre to a lot of people, but I faithfully showed up every week to a book group that not only had a spiritual growth component, but was a community of people. Because at that point, people kind of scared the crap out of me. I, I'm an introvert. Like I can fake it till I make it, but I'm not a big people person. And so it pushed me to show up, to be around people, to share and to get that growth that I, I had seen something had to change. So do you have a spiritual practice today? I do. And it, it's a part of my morning routine and it's along with everything else I do. It's that time where I stop and focus on that spiritual relationship and read the scriptures and pray and meditate and study and learn and go deeper. So you might've just said it, but I love a good morning routine. So can you kind of walk us through what your morning routine looks like? Okay. So I love routine, but it never looks the same. <laughs> and a part of it is just because of that schedule, because I start really, really early in the morning, because for me, it's dependent on the weather here in the desert. I want to get my workout before it's the face of the sun hot, or I have clients coming, but that morning routine has the same components to it. It is hygiene. It is my physical movement. It is my spiritual practice. It is making sure I'm nourished. It is um, those intellectual pursuits. I'm the world's biggest nerd. Like I have to always be learning something. So part of my morning practice is what am I engaging in that's stimulating my mind that I'm learning something and all of those things happen, maybe just not in the same order or the same length of time, but they happen in some capacity every day, because if they don't, then I am not at the top of my game to serve anyone else. Yes. No, I couldn't agree more. Um, a mar- like a morning routine or meditation, just something for yourself is like a game changer for the rest of your day. Absolutely. So do you have a tip, like some sort of resource or a book, um, a YouTube channel, something that you use that empowers you or encourages you throughout your life? It it can be anything. One of the places that I really draw inspiration in this season is actually a virtual co-working space. I belong to a group called On Purpose with Purpose, and it is people of all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of businesses. Not, maybe they don't even own a business. They're, they do whatever. But we have hundreds of hours on our calendar every month that we show up and we get to be real. We get to be who we are. It starts out with a celebration. Like, what are you grateful for today? What's going well? What's your intention for the hour? And then, you know, you turn the Zoom screen off, you go and do it, you come back at the end of the hour, and what did you get done? It's that place of accountability for getting stuff done, but also it's forming relationships with others, learning what they're doing, being a support. Like there's times we sit there and cry over whatever, 
but it's a place that always can, it, it's that rock that you know is always there. Yes, there's something to say about a group of, whether it's women or like-minded people, um, huddling together, going through a similar journey together. And, you know, you can relate to each other's experiences. So that's powerful. Absolutely. So let's end with a tip to encourage women who are in the arena fighting for the life they want. Like I said, it's not sexy, but those small things, if there's something that you're looking at that needs a change, that needs some growth, that just doesn't feel right, it doesn't have to be the grand sweeping gesture of everything changes at once. What is one thing? What is one thing you can do today? And it might be the cup of water or putting the shoes by the door or even just making a calendar appointment with yourself. It can be the very smallest thing, but those one things, that one thing I can do, it adds up. It has an incredible ripple effect that will change your life. So good. And you know what? I would say it's not sexy, but it can still make you feel sexy. That's right. (laughs) All right. And how can we connect with you? Well, I am all over social media at some iteration of heart and soul fitness and wellness. Uh, Soul is spelled S-O-L-E. Easiest way to find me is on my website, heartandsoulsolefit.com. And all my goodies are there. My blog is there. There's even a place to get on my calendar and let's talk about wellness. And it's not, I'm going to sell you something. It's what do you want to achieve? What, what do you need to get there? And what do you need support in? And if it's me, great, but I know I'm not everyone's right fit. And that's why I have a massive referral network of people that I know, trust and like that. I'm going to send you to because they're going to get you to where you want to be. Thank you so much, Stephanie. You've been a total badass and I've enjoyed hearing your story. Thank you. And with that, we'll end our show. To all the badass women out there staying in the arena, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, own it and get after it. Now that you've listened to this episode of Ordinary to Badass, we want to hear from you. Go to our website, OrdinaryToBadass.com slash podcast and submit your own experience on how you took your life from ordinary to badass and get the chance to be on a future Spotlight episode of the show. That's OrdinaryToBadass.com forward slash podcast. While you're waiting for the next episode of the show, wipe off the sweat, dust off the dirt, and get back in the arena.